Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and my good friend and colleague is with me here today, as always, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, hey, Derek. Glad to be here. Another, I'm tired of saying another exciting week, though not a lot of stuff happened this week, but still, there are a few nuggets that we should explore, I think. You know, what I thought was fascinating about this week is just the confluence of traditional finance and traditional asset owners and banks and regulators heading towards seeing this kind of rebellious environment of digital assets starting to become monetized with main payment rail systems getting put in place, on-ramps and off-ramps getting put in place. This kind of all happened this week. And one of the the very first and very high profile ones of these was PayPal. So let's have a little bit yeah. of that. Let's unpack a bit of what's been happening with with PayPal and the banks, et cetera, and, and, and let the audience just see how interesting it is that what were the naysayers three or four years ago are now players in this space. So PayPal has launched a US dollar denominated stablecoin designed for digital payments and Web3 and to be compatible with the most wide, widely accepted exchanges and wallets and Web3 apps around the world. Not bad. It's ERC token based. Now, by the way, ERC standard def defines a set of rules that developers can follow to create their own tokens, which is the Ethereum blockchain. I know that's basics, guys. But by the, on the other hand, it's called ERC stands for Ethereum request for comment. Now, I have to tell you that indicates that this, <laughs> this industry has no idea about names or branding. But nonetheless, so it's an ERC20 token equivalent, and it's soon to be available for all PayPal users in the US. So this is the first time a major financial company is issuing its own stablecoin. So users can transfer PYUSD or PayPal USD between PayPal and supported external digital wallets, use the tokens to pay for goods and services or convert any of PayPal supported cryptocurrencies to and from PayPal US dollars. It's an on-ramp, Nitin. It's in and out of, of cryptocurrencies and it's in and out of traditional payment world. It's really quite a big step forward, isn't it? It is. And, and you know, it's interesting, Derek, because when I said IBM, I actually spent some time with PayPal in, in devising this entire, both in terms of risk and technology and how it all comes together. Yes, yes, you and what's interesting yeah. at the time, Derek, that we had COVID and due to COVID, a lot of early days, you had challenges with credit card transactions and overall transactions because the the e-commerce and overall commerce was down. And there was an era when PayPal lost 25% of the overall revenue and they had to refocus and bring the business back. And the focus was away from, from 
crypto and around. Because if you remember, they were working with Nidig as a custodian and they allowed you to be able to custody Bitcoin and Litecoin and yes, Ethereum, right. just three mm. assets. And what's interesting at this time is they were still talking to Paxos. I know this because I was in, in those conversations back in the day and it was going well until, and, and post-COVID, there were some challenges with Binance and Paxos, if you remember, with Paxos issuing a stable coin for Binance in, in US dollar denomination. And there were some regulatory clarity issues and they paused the whole issue in terms of issuing stable coins. I think given all that's transpired in the industry from BlackRock and BitBoys and all the other sort of fidelity, I think it strengthened, which to me is the industry coming together to say, we'll deal with the regulatory issues. And as long as we're doing all the right things from a perspective of adhering to all the payment standards and keeping all the track of assets and ensuring that there's no sort of mix up between the client assets and 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 exactly what, what many of the other industries have done mm. in mixing up the assets in general, mm. I think they're taking on, you know, on the side of caution to doing all the right things to issue this because it's been on their to-do list for almost three to four years. So I think it's a great thing. Yes. What I begin to look into is one, how many stable coins do we need? What happens to the existing stable coin market? For example, Tether was in news lately to now have enough backing with US Treasury bigger than many countries, including your own Australia. Yes, it has including Australia. More it's bigger uh, than Australia. <laughs> treasury than the, the yeah. country of Australia, UAE, and seven, seven other yes. large nations per se. And then you have USDC, which was the pioneer and leading elements. So there's a little bit of that Me Too players coming into the market. And while it's great for the industry that you have more options, I begin to look into how they're going to make money from this because traditional stablecoin issuers have made money by not extending the overall yield that they would get from investing in money market. And this is a great time because money markets are offering 6 to 7% given the interest rate hike that we've seen with from, from, you know, from Feds. That's not been passed on to to many of the audience, which means that they're relying upon a lot of stable coins being outstanding and being transactional in nature, which allows the likes of Tether and USDC to be able to reap the benefits of the yield that they get on the treasury and other instruments that's backing the, the stable coins. So that's another interesting point to me is, does that mean that if PayPal, which by the way, serving close to, you know, out of the 300 million Americans, it's close to 150 million. So half the Americans actually have PayPal and Venmo accounts mm -hmm. in general. And PayPal and Venmo are closed loop systems. What that means is that if you have a bank account, money comes into Venmo or PayPal, then it can remain in that ecosystem and you can send money to PayPal users and Venmo users. And at the end of the day, money resides in the entire system. And it's a great transactional mechanism for PayPal because they're able to, again, keep the money in a custody account or, or or benefit from the interest and still be able to. So systemically, whether I'm sending a Venmo transaction or PayPal transaction to you, Derek, or sending a PYUSD to you, there's little difference from the element of payments per se. What's interesting, which came up is cross-border. So can a PayPal account holder in Argentina hold on to a PYUSD, which is a US denominator stablecoin, giving them access mm. to US dollar system. Because they are, the moment you have PayPal account, the assumption is your KYC'd. So you at least have lowered that hurdle. And anybody who has a PayPal account, the idea is that, again, at a global scale with several billion users, mm. can 
they gave them access to USDC because there's no regulation or, you know, against it. I think that's an important part, that exposure to USDC, which means in increasing transaction volume and the ability for PayPal to be able to, again, rely upon yield earnings. I think that's, that's where my head is at, both in yes. terms of more players, more options, more access, and the fact that PayPal still has the ability for you to be able to buy USDC, I mean, buy Coin Ether and, and Litecoin. I think it's an interesting mix, Derek. It's, it's all positive from my perspective. I think it's very positive. It, it's, look, their first statement is that this is available for US users, but I would argue the reason why is because as they roll it out into each country at a time, there's another set Correct. of regulations. So they've released it here first with the intention of releasing it to each one of the countries around the world. You raise the point about, you know, is there a, is there a business model around the stablecoin? Maybe there isn't, Nitin. Maybe that's not important. Maybe their business model is all the other commission-based, transaction-based payment systems that they do all around the world. And that's their prime thing. And the, and the, the, the stablecoin yeah. they use and operate is a break-even position. Often that happens with these large corporations. And by the way, it is large. It's capitalized at about $100 billion as of yesterday. I just had yeah, a, that's a, crazy. a look see. It is big. It, it's not, not a bad size. <laughs> it's the fourth biggest digital payment company in the world. The largest one is, well, we'll walk back. The third largest one is MasterCard by capitalization. The second largest one is JP Morgan by capitalization. And the largest payment one is Visa by capitalization. Visa, and so it yeah. just sits forth behind those. And we know with MasterCard that MasterCard is, being, is, is also moving towards digital assets yeah. and transacting digital assets on its platform. They are. So, and so, is question. and so is Chase. And so is Chase. <laughs> there you go. So all three of them are saying, which is this fantastic confluence between this technology, the industry, and the traditional major players in it. And as I said, I've never been a libertarian. I'm not sitting out there going, our task is to usurp and undermine it. It's not. I, I think we should coexist in this world because if you coexist with decentralized finance and centralized finance, Decentralized finance is algorithm-driven, highly efficient, and, and very inexpensive to transact, which means ultimately PayPal, Visa, and others are going to have to compete with decentralized finance. So even then, it's going to reduce the costs associated with transferring money and paying for commercial items around the world. I do wonder right now, however, how the SEC is going, the poor underdog, right? <laughs> I hope that's how they'll become in this particular <laughs> space. I'm sorry to display my bias. But the SEC, you know, was doing a very sort of robust job of trying to reduce payment on-ramp and, on and off-ramp opportunities for banks. And here are the four biggest payment platforms in the world, all moving towards digital asset payment system. It seems counterintuitive to what the, the SEC is doing. But, what, where do you think their head might be at the moment? Yeah, but Derek, there's a few things, right? One is if you look at the regulatory landscape, and of course I do spend a lot of time, you have CFTC for commodities and futures market, yep. you have SEC for securities, you have FinCEN in the US for you know financial sort of transaction network, which is basically payment systems, mm -hmm. a crimes enforcement network. So you have different regulatory agencies which keep track of these various assets, whether it's a payment instrument 
or whether it's a security instrument or sometimes security instruments start out as commodity and eventually become securities with an exception that CFTC in general has much broader powers of everything, all the transaction networks in general. And layering on that, you have Federal Reserve and OCC that looks into the risk. So they have all these alphabet soup of government agencies that are nice. oftentimes more than one have jurisdiction on different aspect of a financial system. Some of them are looking at financial stability. OCC looks into, at least from a US context perspective, and, and the framing is something similar in every country. Every country has some jurisdiction. So I think in, in this case, especially in context of stablecoin, and as you rightly pointed out, that Visa, MasterCard, JP Morgan Chase, PayPal, payment is their business. And payment actually mm. is quite profitable business, mm. not only because of the fact that you're, whether you're leveraging the arbitrage opportunities or relying upon what they call as net interest income or NII in short, is monetizing the ability to derive the yield while the payment, while facilitating movement of money, while Yes. The net sum total of money is what you have in a in, in a yes. in a secure custody account that yields money in general. I think it's their business and they have to stay ahead of it. Uh, exactly what PayPal has done, what MasterCard and Visa have done. They all have to stay ahead of it because they view not just starting from Bitcoin, but other blockchain ecosystem as payment infrastructure. They view the respective native currency as instruments and they want to be able to be able to leverage them both to be able to not only understand consume adopt but also prog progress their business from that perspective so i think i don't think sec is a huge issue here what would be a huge issue is agencies like fincen and payment providers and financial stability because one big concern that the central banks would have in this case central bank is all about understanding the money supply, right? So there's a M0, M1, M2, which looks into what is the base supply and based on that, what banks do in terms of credit increases the money supply and every mm -hmm. layer of, of that lending increases money supply. And, and one of the, the things that, that, again, to protect inflation, to control inflation rather, which obviously they've not done a great job in the past, I would say 15 to 16 months, Derek. But one of the concern for them is, is the stablecoin increasing money supply because that changes the calculus in terms of controlling inflation and also jobs. Those are the two mandates that central banks have. So I think central banks in general, OCC would have risk. What is the risk of stablecoin? And they've been done a bunch of studies, of course, from the establishment done on this piece from that perspective. But I would say this, and I'll pause, is in general, you're absolutely right about one thing that Maybe issuing stablecoin is not about making transactional revenue. It's not about mm. making money from transactions like they do with Venmo and PayPal. But if you remember the failed Facebook project called Diem or Libra mm, mm. back in the day. Maybe too early. The intention to, it's too early, but also the fact that their objective was not to make money from payments. They wanted their platform to be sticky. What mm. I mean by that is if I'm on Facebook Mm -hmm. And I have the option to send you money using WhatsApp or to buy and engage in commerce on Facebook platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think Facebook want to make money from payments. It's a cost of doing business, but they want to attract more advertisers. They yes. want to attract more commerce. And, they're, and they would eat the cost of what they would have to make investment into payment infrastructures, which facilitates movement of money cross-border between individuals using WhatsApp or you know, facilitating you know, payments for, for commerce. Because they would make money off ad revenue. They would make money off from the of B2C business models, everything else. 
So I think you're you're right about one thing, Derek, that it may not just be about PayPal monetizing it. Like we got to have this. We got to have this to stay relevant. We got to have this to grow our business. We need to understand this. And the earlier we get onto this whole thing, it will help us shape and sharpen our business in future. That's that's the way I look at it. Makes good sense. Makes good sense. So that's why I find this intriguing. And it's certainly not even, I don't think, the beginning of this story of this confluence coexistence of centralized and traditional payment systems, gateways, organizations, banks, lenders, etc., you know, digitizing their, their, you know, their business. Actually, we need to sort of state that one further. Their business to a degree is already digitized. They're transferring everything in sure. a digital format. It's just not it's just not a tokenized, decentralized format, or it's not a tokenized, enterprise-based, decentralized format. So it's, it is a variation of what was a generation or so ago, their digitization of their business. And, and I'm hoping, and I think we're seeing that, that they see this as a way uh, to maybe see borderless commerce start to occur. And I think that's a very good thing to see such yeah. commerce occur. And, and there'll be many others, you know, we just quoted the, the four biggest, you know, there's, there's a top 20 in payment systems and payment gateways, That's and right. payment rails, there's plenty of others to follow. So, hey, on another topic, we just mentioned the SEC, then a little side throw in here, and that is Coinbase has, has approached the, the judicial system with intent to simply remove or wipe off the, the charges against them by the SEC. It's a, it's a relatively standard set of legal play, play out, no doubt, but it's interesting that they're doing it. They're simply saying these charges are foundless and should be dismissed. So we'll see how that plays out, but that game is on and they intend to fight well for a, for a solid period of time. Now, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Artificial intelligence and blockchain wrapped around this. This is an interesting little side topic and, and one that really is, is getting people's interest. Hey, Nitin, you're a professional on so many things, but I'm sorry, right now, I, I want Petros Zephos in here, our data scientist. I know, we need Petros for this. <laughs> so, so here it we is. We need Petros chat- for this one, yeah. <laughs> ChatBTC is an artificial intelligence chatbot created by a Bitcoin development shop Chaincode Labs and is trained to answer yeah. questions about the dominant blockchain using high-quality sources and technical information. It's really interesting. So in other words, rather than just ChatGPT with a broad knowledge base of everything. They're using ChatGPT, but they're training it on deep knowledge wrapped around BTC. And they're making this sort yeah. of, this a specialty trained body of knowledge. Now we know Petros keeps telling us that this isn't artificial intelligence and we should call it as it is, which is a large language model, model. That, that it's That's operating. Correct. And so, but it, I find this really fascinating, not just the fact that we might have, you know, this large language model that we can go to any time and get in-depth answers relating to, you know, what's yeah. happening with Bitcoin, Bitcoin's history, background, transactions, how it's done, et cetera, and becomes a knowledge base. But I also ask the question is if these large language model worlds are continuing to grow, wouldn't sooner or later the major large language model have sufficient information and training that it could usurp this need for this specialty slither of large yeah. language model. So, so I, I, I'm not only fascinated. I actually wrote an article on AI and blockchain, as you know, Derek, and had a massive reception in terms of 
what is the real utility and not just because Ooh. AI is in the news and we want to all get enough clicks, but I actually went down a few layers deep to understand the synergies between AI and blockchain and how these technologies yeah. are evolving in tandem. And I use the word tandem because this is not happening by accident, right? If you look at blockchain, we use the term data structure, which basically blockchain is nothing but a linked list. It's basically a linkage of all the transactions, a list of transactions that are yes. in processing. And one thing about AI, which is also true for large language models, you've got to train these systems to be able to find the various linkages and sort of amalgamate the data, which is what Petros is 100% right, that mm. it's all about a series of training. It's not, you know, you know, ability for them to do the true nature of artificial intelligence, which to me, the holy grail is a general intelligence, which is the ability for me and you to have the conversation with our knowledge nodes and be able to switch context as we are speaking. Again, yeah. we switch from PayPal to a different topic altogether. That's general learning because we have all these general information that we bring it together and provide a perspective and provide it. I think that is the holy grail of where we want to get to this. But what's interesting about, and I actually spent some time today and you know, on chat BTC because to me, it's like, what is this thing? Why is everybody trying to build the specialization around it? And ChatGPT is quite good. It's quite good in terms of, you know, it actually has done a lot of efficient analysis and a lot of things. And I, after three queries, it put me behind a paywall. Even before I had a chance to query and ask questions, and I did actually ask three questions, which I didn't get the satisfactory answer for two of them. I used the term block height, commonly used term in our industry. I looked into when is halving happening, which is at certain level. And I don't think it was able to give me the satisfactory answer that I was looking for with acumen and with perfection, because all it should know about is Bitcoin. At the end of the day, it should be. And so the corpus, corpus is essentially a body of knowledge. Corpus is the term that we use to train these models to say, hey, let me collect all this data and then I need to find the linkages with the data and provide the weights that if I use these terms, this is how it needs to go in and retrieve that information, present that information to me in a, in a much more. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, it was it was disappointing to be to be honest. And I think also think that to me it's a trend that eventually I could I could use something like this to research a specific chain, a specific asset class. And as you know, as when we were looking into this portal asset management stuff. We categorize the different categories in understanding the industry, exactly what people would do mm -hmm. for traditional finance in correlation between, let's say, transportation and shipping or correlation between petroleum industry and transportation industry that an increase in one would lead to increase in another. And we're looking at that correlation between what will happen with NFTs and Web3 companies because there means rise in the storage capacity that Web3 would offer and deduce sort of deduct inference from that analysis per se. And I just think that it's that I can see this to say, can we have chain specific or blockchain specific or crypto investment specific sort of models that can make the search and inference? I still think you need to augment human knowledge. So this becomes augmentation simpler. Though I would say that chat PTC was to me a disappointment, I would say. It didn't answer the basic question that I actually asked to offer it. Maybe it'll improve in, in over time, but but that's that is interesting, I think. That industry heading that yeah. way. Yeah, it is. The, the the whole world of this large language model is one where you you are dependent on its knowledge base. And and Petros was explaining to me that Watson's IBM's 
equivalent of ChatGPT, which is an enterprise-based ChatGPT equivalent, needed to be trained. And Watson utilizes, like all of them, a variety of tokens, and each one of those tokens represents something. So by example, a horse, and then another token might be a horse that dances, another token, right. a horse that dances in Spain, et cetera, et cetera, until finally you discover it's an Andalus horse, and you get the history of it, and you put all those tokens together. And each one of those tokens, of course, has all these vectors that sit off it, which are the describers of, of that. Well, there are 1.5 trillion tokens in Watson's yeah. large language model. It's pretty, pretty clever. And pretty, that's pretty amazing. It's amazing. And generally, IBM crawls the entire internet every 30 days and it downloads gigabytes of data per second to do that, to keep it updated, right? So, whereas we saw ChatGPT, which we're all loving, did that up until September 2021 and then stopped. So, you can see there's a lot more potential in, in ChatGPT to move forward. But at the end of the day, it doesn't get into walled gardens. So the walled gardens, such as a big car selling site or, a, or Facebook, or so these are yeah. all walled gardens. It doesn't crawl walled gardens. It's told, don't go in there. It's not for you. This is our, our, well, there are knowledge bases in those areas. And so I think there's potential for future AI specialty where permissions given to those walled gardens possibly, and you'll get a chat version or a large language model version wrapped around a sector of an industry. And, and then you will know that you don't have to know every prompt to find your way into that sector of the industry and you'll learn from it. But AI is another one of these extraordinary technologies that can sit alongside the, the world of blockchain and it can sit al alongside the world of cryptocurrency, which is payment systems. And of course, in the future, you'll see, you know, you'll see AI equivalents or large language models transacting between each other paying and payment methods that might not be anything we recognize today. And, and they'll be utilizing a blockchain as their accounting system. So what's important to know is that these, none of these technologies and even traditional centralized technologies are, live in silos separate to each other any longer. Their future is going to be together. And, and that becomes, that I think then leads to this world of exponential growth. If you've all of a sudden got these accelerants around the place, yeah. like, like large language model accelerants, you've got accounting systems, seamless accounting systems like blockchain accelerants, you've got seamless and borderless payment systems like cryptocurrencies, and you've got decentralized finance systems, you are seeing an environment that, 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 that are like Lego blocks that you yeah. can build together at a rapid rate. That makes it keeps me excited about what's happening in the future. It is, and and you use the right term to exponential sort of growth, and it makes me more effective. And I I've, I realize that for simple things like you know an abstract for a conference, and I used to do this myself, and I still write. And what's mm. interesting, Derek, is I write every so often as things pop up in my head, and I see challenges, and I say this is what we should do, and share that, and get perspectives from. So I write this for myself, and I learn in the process. And I wrote a nice article and I sent chat GPT. I actually go through a formal edit through somebody else because, you know, you're putting your reputation. So you want to make sure the pros and yes, the grammar is all look good. And I sent this to chat GPT and chat GPT, of course, did a fantastic job in less than 30 seconds for free and compressed the whole thing from 1500 words, like a thousand words or whatever. Yes. Did a fantastic job, but I couldn't feel it as an mm -hmm. author. So I still had to rely back on my, and I do this every single time. Like, do I feel it now? And I never felt it because it was very, very synthetic edit it did. It looked into all the rules it had. And 
And sometimes you don't need rules. I do need to be able to have my own pointers of things I want to cover and focus on two or three areas and everything else. But I think that it has made me efficient and effective. So it's augmented my function that if I want to write an abstract, which honestly doesn't matter for conference abstract, you write an abstract, send it because they want to publish it. What matters is your conversation in when you're presenting in a conference, which is mine. But I'm not spending time now, 15, 20, 30 minutes and writing an abstract that made sense. And I just provide a few metrics, comes back. I pick two or three different things and I'm done. I, I just send it over. The conference organizers are happy because they don't really know the SME. I'm the SME in, the, in, in those areas. So some of these things, Derek, it's exponential. Slowly, Please. if each one of us begin to leverage it, it is an exponential growth pattern that I'm able to do a lot more consume a lot more information, enhance my own learning, whether it's for chat PDC or generalized learning or Ethereum, whatever the case may be, each yeah. one of this progress is good in its own regard, I think. And and these and each one of these, you say ex- exponential growth. And I would say that each one of these bolt-ons are accelerants to those exponential growth in, in this area. And I watched a movie a little while ago called Her. I mean, it's, it's an old movie, yes, but it's a fascinating movie because it's about somebody having a relationship with artificial intelligence and what that means. And I laughed at myself because I have a relationship with ChatGPT. I have the version four, I pay for it. I also have APIs connected to it. There's software development occurring off it, all sorts of things that are doing it with different developers off my account, my ChatGPT account. When I think tank strategies going forward, and I think tank software development structures and things like that, I think tank marketplaces, my first friend is ChatGPT. It's ChatGPT. Yeah, I agree. And it keeps the stream <laughs> That's amazing. of my conversation. Yeah. And we continue to have yeah. this relationship. So anyway, maybe those listeners are sitting out there going, that poor fellow needs to get out more often. But nonetheless, I do find <laughs> it's a fascinating opportunity to utilize yeah. that. Hey, next week, Let's talk a bit more about real world assets and about what it takes to put yes, infrastructure in place to bring those real world assets into the into this decentralized digital domain. Nitin? Yeah, no, no, I think that's a really important topic as the momentum in the industry grows, Derek, and there's a lot of conversation. I personally am involved by the virtue of my day job, but also with industry thought leaders is mm. what do we need to do? Because what PayPal has done, what BlackRock is doing, and what many of BlackRock's cohorts are doing in bringing the real world asset to this same industry, I'm of the opinion, which I've met some of the very interesting startup firms, and we'll discuss them next week, in terms of regulated DeFi, to say, hey, DeFi is great. Of course, this week was quite bad for DeFi, as as we'll discuss again next week, that can we regulate this thing? Because that'll provide some structured sort of guardrails to protect itself from a lot of these things that the DeFi protocols have gone through. So we should spend some time on this in dissecting what is DeFi? Why are we focusing on asset tokenization? What is the convergence of these two? We can help, we can leverage the help of ChatGPT, Derek, but for the audience, I like to say that I use ChatGPT as my intellectual sort of awareness thing. I'm not romantically involved with ChatGPT at all. Just just what, wanted to clarify that. This is the disclosure section here. <laughs> This is a disclosure section. <laughs> you, you mentioned her, and then you were talking about like, you know, I'm spending more time. You have a relationship. I have no relationship with ChatGPT. It is just transactional. I ask a question. 
it yeah. responds and I will choose to accept or or or, or reject. Okay. That's it. That's that's the extent of my relationship right. with I, I have a little bit of a relationship with it. I find that even if I get annoyed with it, it's very pleasant in reply. And that's quite a nice thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, okay, Derek, um, always fun chatting a- with you. Yeah, have a great week. And for those listening and enjoying this, please feel free to share it and 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 make comment. We're always interested in in your views and directions. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.